While you're turning there, I'll share a couple of announcements uh, with you. Uh, remember Trunk or Treat coming up, and uh, we're expecting a great turnout, and uh, so need your help with that, so we'll be preparing for that. And our uh, children's home box is in the uh, education building, so uh, drop some stuff in there by the end of this month. So we got one more week. No, we got two more weeks. Uh, and so um, we'll ship that off uh, to the children's home once it uh, time comes. So, uh, you know, Isaiah chapter 53, the entire book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah, remember, points to the Messiah, to Jesus. That there's more uh, Messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah than all the rest of the Old Testament put together. Uh, John Wesley called uh, Isaiah the gospel uh, of Isaiah for that reason. And in this chapter, uh, chapter 53, is one of the, the, the clearest and, and probably the most uh, gospel-filled uh, chapters in Isaiah. And so let's take a look see what he says. Verse 1 says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by sorrow, Yet we esteemed him uh, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will divide a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. A great, wonderful picture of what uh, Jesus would accomplish and what his ministry was. And if there's one thing that we as believers must constantly keep in mind, it is what Jesus did for me and you. We must never forget and we must never get over 
what Jesus did for us. And that the fact that we were so undeserving and yet Jesus came and he died before we loved him. Paul points out that while we were yet in our sin, Christ died for us. And so we want to talk this morning about a few things about the the importance of uh, this gospel. And so the first is... uh, thing that I want us to understand is that what the Messiah would do was not based upon belief. In other words, it, what Jesus' ministry and what the, God promised that the Messiah would accomplish was not based upon people's willingness to receive it or upon their belief. Jesus came and lived among us. And what does Isaiah say? What happened? He said, you know what? He came, and people didn't esteem him. In other words, they didn't think anything about him. They didn't hold him in high regard. And guess what? That's exactly how the people treated Jesus. That Jesus came, and and he was not the... um, mighty military redeemer that the people were expecting. He didn't come to deliver them from political oppression. He came to deliver them from the sentence of death that was caused by sin. And by the way, that's a reminder to us that a lot of times what we think our problems are really are not what our problems are. Uh, Really what you know, what we think are our problems are really symptoms of something that's deeper. And oftentimes, at the, at the base of our, our problem, it's our lack of faith in God or our disobedience to God. Um, and God's Word tells us, listen, if you turn from my ways, there's going to be trouble to pay. And then we're shocked when we do what we want. And... Things don't turn out, and God doesn't hear our prayers, and there's, there doesn't seem to be this answering uh, to, you know, of our prayers when we're asking God to bless us. And the reason is because we're not living for Him. He's not going to bless us if we're not living for Him. And He's going to be concerned about us and love us, just like those that rejected and esteemed not the Lord, Jesus loved them, and even prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And so the work that Jesus would do was not based upon our belief. Remember that Isaiah has used the analogy as he does here in verse 2. He says that this Messiah will grow up as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground, he says in verse 2. Certainly the nation of Israel had become very dry in their faith by the time Jesus came. He didn't come with power. He didn't come in a prestigious family. He wasn't particularly attractive. He said, and the reason he wasn't particularly attractive, he saw in the chapter before, in verse 52, in chapter 52, remember that he talked about him being beaten and, and bruised and and marred that he didn't even look human. And that's what 
the New Testament and what the Gospels tell us about Jesus. He says, listen, people despised him, they rejected him, and yet he came to accomplish his mission because it wasn't about whether people wanted him to come or whether they would even receive him, but rather he knew his mission was to make a way uh, for anyone who would receive this gift to believe in God would find eternal life. Jesus did not come to make us happy, he came to make us whole. Now, as we find wholeness in Christ, we are happy a lot of the times, aren't we? And there's a joy that's always there. But that's not the main reason Jesus came. Jesus came to make us whole. And so he came not, you know, and uh, so then we have to remember um, that Jesus came not because the people would receive him, not because they would throw parades, not because they would easily believe and say, all right, yay, the Messiah has finally come. Thank you, God. No, they said, it's crazy nut job from Nazareth. What? He's the son of a carpenter. He's kind of homely, not, not much to look at. I think he probably had some muscle with being a carpenter and some of the other things that he did. Um, and yet people say, yeah, he's not the, the leader. He's not the deliverer that we're looking for. That's for sure. And how often do we miss what God wants to do in our life because he comes in a way that we don't expect. And we, real, we need to realize that we're not God and we're not the one making the plan and making it work. Uh, we're simply, you know, the receivers of the benefit of God working in our lives. And so God is the one that has the right to uh, call the shots and direct our paths. And the truth of the matter is, when we direct our own path, a lot of times it doesn't work out so well, does it? But when God directs our path, we won't go astray. Not meaning that things are always going to be easy, but we will make it through because God's going with us and we're not alone. That's why David could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It wasn't because David was a, a cocky little guy that thought nothing could touch him. No, David understood that as long as God was with him, there was nothing he couldn't accomplish uh, that God had asked him to do. And David's life had proved that over and over again. David certainly was not perfect. And he certainly had a lot of failures. And yet, God worked in his life. And when David asked God for forgiveness, guess what? God gave it. And God continued to use David. Um, and so the Messiah would, was... What he would do was not based on our belief in what it would accomplish. But by the way, belief does become important in order for us to receive the benefit for what Jesus would do. Faith is the only condition for salvation. Not being good enough, not having the right last name, not being born and having the right address, but by having faith in Christ. 
and the work that he accomplished on the cross. And so that brings us to our second point. What the Messiah would do was to take our punishment. So the Messiah came, people didn't receive him. But verse 5 reminds us he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. What a great reminder of what Jesus accomplished When we've done something wrong, we expect some punishment for it, don't we? And it's right, it's, we call it justice when we get what we deserve. But you see, God loves us so much that He came and took the punishment that I owed and that you owed and that all people everywhere owed because we're all born with this curse of sin. And Jesus came and he was innocent. He was sinless. He had done absolutely no wrong. Well, when an innocent man is punished, we, we get a little bit upset about that, don't we? And, and we should. That's not justice, that's injustice. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus chose to do. He'd done no wrong. But he took the punishment for us. And friends, we must never forget that. It doesn't matter if, you know, we were, you know, Five when we got when we accepted that gift, or we were fifty when we accepted that gift. The Bible says we were coming into this world, and just by our very birth, sin has its snares, its hooks in us. Nobody has to teach children to be selfish. It comes very natural to all of us. Uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is in our working in our lives to make us less selfish. That we would, instead of thinking of ourselves, we would look upon others. And that is exactly the example that Jesus gave. Because he says in verse, listen, all of us are like sheep that have gone astray. All of us have turned, every one of us, Paul said in the book of Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. And remember he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, all of us have done wrong. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be oppressed and afflicted and bruised, and crushed, and whipped. That's what we deserve. And yet God, because of His great love, took that punishment for us. 
verse 7 says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth as a lamb was led to the slaughter and the sheep before it shears is silent. He opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken, God says. Verse 9 says, he made the, they made his grave with the wicked. And he's crucified between two thieves, two men that deserved the punishment that they were receiving. But Jesus did not deserve what he was given. But he took it willingly. And did not argue, did not try to mount a defense. And we remember, have to remember he was God. He certainly could have stopped those soldiers from piercing his arms and his legs. He could have just simply vanished. He could have turned those nails into gummy worms. And yet, he took that pain. And the reason he did it was because he saw you and he saw me. And he knew the only hope we had was if he gave his life and shed his innocent blood for my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the world. And because of what Jesus did, we're able to have life. Great quote from John Oswald, a Methodist uh, theologian, put it up there for you know, reminds us, and it's so powerful that God's power is at its greatest, not in his destruction of the wicked, but in his taking all the wickedness of the earth into himself and giving back love. What a powerful statement. I think that's so very true. If somebody, you know, falsely accuses us, we get a little upset. Take umbrage to it. We, you know, defend ourselves. And we certainly wouldn't endure, you know, silently, and yet that is exactly what Jesus did. And boy, that shows how different God is from us. And it reminds us of that Old Testament lesson that God's ways are not man's ways. Or God's ways are much higher than ours. And a lot of times we don't understand, we can't understand why God does the things that he does. The thing is, that's okay. And that helps us remember that, hey, I'm not God. I don't have to have it all figured out. All I have to do is know the one who does have things figured out. That old hymn uh, we sing uh, sometimes, I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. And that's what makes the difference. And if we could stop that, man, my goodness, would that ever be enough? If the only thing that Jesus had done was 
shed his blood for us and so that we could have eternal life. That would have been enough, my goodness, reason enough to praise him and to live for him. But guess what? Isaiah reminds us it's not just about redemption. It's about having a relationship. And the last thing that I want us to find from this passage of Scripture this morning from Isaiah 53 is that what the Messiah would do is not only not dependent upon what we would believe, but also what the Messiah would do was to, to share his reward. So not only did he not depend on us believing him, and not only did he take the punishment that we deserved, but Jesus shares his eternal reward. Jesus is fully God. He's always been fully God, always will be fully God. But one night in Bethlehem, Many, many, many moons ago. Jesus came in a little town called Bethlehem. Born to an unwed mother. Who was a young teenage girl. And his earthly father was a a carpenter. They made their home in the town of Nazareth. Nothing very special about him. But you see, even though he came in a little cave that served as an animal's barn, and he grew up very poor, he was the wealthiest man that ever walked on the face of the earth. Because he owned everything. In fact, not only did he own everything, but he created everything. Paul tells us in the book of Colossians that through Christ everything was made and everything is being held together by Christ. In other words, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of peace that Isaiah had talked about in the beginning chapters of this book. But my friend, the great thing is how... We know God loves us. My goodness, if he had just paid that penalty and again, just left it at that, my goodness, would that have been enough? He said, you know what? It pleased the Lord to bruise him. They put him to grief. That he made his soul an offering for sin. And yet his days would be prolonged. Verse 11 says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. But then this last verse, verse 12, said, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Who are the transgressors? Me and you. Jesus paid our sin debt. And Jesus interceded for us. And continues to intercede for us, the scripture says, at the right hand of the Father. But look at the beginning. He said, you know what? God says, you know what? The Messiah is going to have a reward. And then look what it says. He said, and then he will divide the spoil with the strong. And I think that who he's talking about is me and you too. You see, we're not strong in ourselves. In our fact, we're very weak. None of us have the power to overcome this curse of sin, no matter how hard we might try. Left to our own devices, we can't do it. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, Without me, you can do no good thing. You can't do anything worthy without me. And the truth is, that's true. But here's the thing. When Christ comes into our life and he makes us new, though we are weak in our own power, in Christ we are strong. And in Christ we have all the resources and all the power all you know, of the Most High. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says, since, we've been, uh, since we have a high priest that has been touched in every way that we are, it was without sin. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. In other words, because of what Jesus has done for us and because we've received them, because we're part of his family, we can come to him without fear and you know, without worry that, oh no, I'm, you know. But with absolute assurance that he's there for us. Do we deserve a reward in heaven? Do we deserve the riches and the blessings that God gives us here on earth? Absolutely you do not. And I do not. But friend, praise God, God loves us so much that not only does his love that shown and not only that he was able to take the evil and the wrong of this world, he took all of that upon himself and in return gave love. Only God can do that. Only God's power can help us even to a fraction do that. And yet, he says, hey, listen, in me you are a child of the king. You're joint heirs. You're princes and princesses of the Most High King. The great thing is we don't have to make an appointment to see the Lord. 
We don't have to worry about them saying, well, Aaron, I'm just a little bit too busy right now. Come back tomorrow. God always has time for his children. And he's always there for his children. It is a wonderful and marvelous thing to be a child of God. And friend, the, the power of the gospel not only changes your life and my life, but it can change anyone's life. You can't change. You don't have the power to change anybody. Sometimes I wish we did. I've prayed a few times, Lord, it would be so much easier if you would just make this person do, do right. Just make them do it. They're hurting themselves and they're hurting their family. Just make them do what they're supposed to do. And you know what? God doesn't operate that way, does he? But the Messiah, and what he would accomplish on the cross, enough to merit our eternal life, but then he shares with us the blessings of being a part of the family of God. Knowing that no matter where we are or what we're going through, that he's there with us. And guess what? Jesus took, as we were reminded this last week, he fed 5,000 Men, and probably as many men, uh, women and children, with a little kid's snack lunch. He rose people from the dead. He cast out uh, demons. He cast out sickness. He healed people physically and spiritually. He did all these marvelous and wonderful things. But the most marvelous thing is not the fact that he healed our sickness, but that he would call us friend. Perhaps the greatest reward after eternal life, that's number one. But I think a close second is the marvelous realization that God calls you and me friend. That we can have a relationship with him. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, several years ago, uh, Leslie and I on Halloween, we had, had trunk or treat at church. And um, I, Leslie had gone across the street to our neighbors to do something. And I'd gone back to the church to get something. And some folks came in and robbed our house and several others in our, our neighborhood. And, you know, they always say, you know, thieves are not very smart and crime. And, and they're not. Um, and they were caught uh, fairly quickly uh, because they had robbed a nursery that was down the street from our house a few weeks before. And so that nursery installed some cameras. The morons came back that night, and they robbed the nursery, and then they robbed several houses in our little subdivision that was next door, and they caught them. When, you know... Those they know who they are, and, and we know who they are. I'm not going to invite them to my house. I, I'm not going to be their best friend.
But do you know what? God says, you know what? You don't deserve for me to be your friend, but I'll be your friend. And not only will I be your friend, but you'll be part of my family. And that's what grace does. And that's such a marvelous blessing to know that despite our unworthiness and how much we do not deserve, God to care one iota about you and me. Jesus gave his life for me and you that we could have life. But not just us, but whosoever. Those rascally thieves, even them, if they were to come and repent of their sin, God would give them new life. What a marvelous thing to know that we're forgiven. And what a marvelous thing it is to know that God considers us to be his family and God considers us to be his friend. May we never forget that fact and may we never get over it. So I hope God will challenge with that. Let's stand together this morning and uh, as we pray, remember Miss Kay is not feeling well and we've got some on vacation this week so uh, that are traveling. So I want to pray that God will give them safety and uh, bring them back to us. Brother George, dismiss us in prayer.